Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, where we explore the human side of analytics to help amplify the impacts of those out to change the world. With me, Alexandra Mannerings. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amanda. Let's start with you introducing yourself, where you come from, where you're visiting us today from, and who you work for. Sure. My name is Amanda Hoffman. I'm the VP of Data and Operations at the League of Conservation Voters. They are based in Washington, D.C., which is also where I am joining you from. Lived here about 25 years, so I feel like I'm almost a native at this point. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much. And we get to talk today about an incredible journey that your organization, League of Conservation Voters, have been on with data that you have really guided them through. And so I'm really excited to share this journey because I think some of us are at the beginning contemplating a journey like this. Some of us may be like hot and heavy in the middle of it. And so I think that your experience is going to really give a lot of insight into how to make it through here and what challenges still remain. So I was wondering if we could start with just what were some of the challenges and the sort of the state of affairs at LCV around data prior to your incredible work there? Sure. So I started at LCV in 2010. So I've been there about 12 and a half years at this point. When I started, there were eight people at the organization. So just for reference, there's eight people in the development team. Sorry. There's about 50 in the team now. And there were 45 at the organization now about 150. So just to give you a sense of like growth and size during that time period. When I came on board, the database of record was PIDI. Not at that point had it been bought by Blackboard yet, but that was still standalone. And the online team had just switched from Get Active to Convio. So for those of you who have not been in this field for a very long time, Convio bought Get Active and then Blackboard bought Convio. So <laughs> that's sort of the trajectory there. The systems did not talk to each other. PIDI, you had to access through a CD-ROM like the reporting system was totally separate. It was ridiculous. I had to like get an external CD-ROM to connect to my computer in order to get to it. It was like the most insane thing. So needless to say, <laughs> one of my first orders of business was the getting off that and onto yeah. something that actually had the two systems talking to each other. So started conversations with Convio at the time. They had a product sort of connecting everything on Salesforce from mid-market, but nothing for enterprise level clients. And so we started working with them and we became the first beta testers for their Illuminate CRM product. And that was an amazing journey, both wonderful and difficult at times, but it allowed us to be on Salesforce for the CRM. It connected directly with Illuminate Online for the email program, right? People sync, were all synced up. Appeals were all synced up, campaigns, people took action online, it came over into the database. It was a whole new world. It was amazing. However, the selling point that was the downfall was that not all of the data was in one place still. We really couldn't do analytics, couldn't really see everything that was happening. We ended up having to outsource to another organization that worked with Blackbot in order, or Convio, sorry, to do data pools and stuff for direct mail. Like it was still still had some issues. And the biggest thing was that it was still extremely difficult to work with our campaigns team. So LCV's got two data teams, one in the fundraising development side and one in like campaigns and field. So getting information from anything where they had knocked on doors, where they were doing GOTV work, any stuff where they were actually signing people up to become members of LCV, 
horrendous at getting it into our system. And sometimes it would take months, at which point we haven't gotten them on the file. They don't even remember who they signed up with anymore. And then vice versa, getting them a list of who our members were from member to member communications or coordinated effort was extremely difficult. It took forever to connect up against the voter file and catalyst. Like it just, it was so problematic. And so we sat down and we're like, okay, this is taking a lot of man hours. So how do we fix this? I think that process where first you go, we have this archaic system that makes us do these ridiculous things like use CD-ROMs to make it work. Or I mean, I've heard so many stories of just these systems that are in place that, you know, were there from the 80s or whatever it is that just they aren't working the way that they need. And so the fact that you first had to say, okay, you know what? There's so much left to be desired about these systems that we are going to take a deep breath and put the huge amount of effort and risk into switching to a new platform. And I love that you're willing to share that all of that effort you put into this, you know, moving to a new platform and investment both in time and money still didn't get you where you were trying to get. And I think that is also a really common experience and fear of organizations that are looking at this journey from the beginning saying, I've got to try to convince everybody that it's going to be this great idea to switch platforms or to combine like two different platforms with like a new integrator or whatever it is. And what happens if I get to the end of that and I still can't get the data or activities that I really need. So I know that's the next part of your journey. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's also just a matter of somewhat and sometimes prioritizing, like you're never going to have the magic bullet that gives you everything that's going to solve every problem, nor are you going to be able to solve everyone's problems because there's just, everybody's going to have something different they want. And I will tell you, having worked years in fundraising, there's always someone who's like, when I go to this record, can I have like confetti flow out at me because it's a major donor that I really need to pay attention to? Or can I have like, you know, the screen change a different color? And you're like, no, that's not a reality. So there are definitely times where expectations and reality are not the same thing. But yeah, so after we got onto the system, which again, I will say being on Salesforce definitely opens a lot of doors to be able to connect to a lot of things. So that helped. Campaigns team, our team sat down and we're like, okay, how do we solve this next big problem? Which is the fact that we aren't talking to each other really at all. And when we are, it's such a pain in the butt that we don't talk to each other. So it's like this recurring issue. And that's when we decided on Civis for a data warehouse. And the whole purpose originally actually was just to get the two systems to talk to each other. And that was the entire purpose. And it wasn't until oh, after we'd been using it for a while that then we sort of found more ways to be using it. Right. And so let's pause there really quick, because I think that this concept of a data warehouse may be new to some people. So do you mind talking briefly, like, what do we mean by the concept of data warehouse? Sure. So it's a place where all of the different databases, all of that information gets stored in a single place on the back end. So it's usually put into tables. It's still a relational database and it's usually managed under a certain language architecture. So in this case, it's managed in SQL. Some of them are managed in Oracle. It's housed on Amazon Web Services in this case. You can even do something as simple as Google has its own web services platforms that you can do warehouses on. So like there's lots of different options. And then what it does is so it has a connection directly to Salesforce. So tables just dump into Civis on a nightly basis. We also have information coming from our mail tool goes directly into it. Information then from the van comes in directly. Then we can also then create tables from that that has information pulling from both places. So what it allows you to do is then see every piece of your data across the board without having to store it back into one database. 
So if I want to pull a report on a bunch of things from field activities, I don't also have to store every field activity in Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And if the field program wants to pull, okay, we're doing walk list and we want to know who's donors and who's not, they don't necessarily have to pull all donation information into the van database. They can just pull a file or a report out of Civis. So that it just gives you a much bigger and broader way to use the data. We are also extremely complicated in the fact that we have a lot of different entities. So we have a C3 and a C4 and a PAC and a super PAC and a bunch of other little 527s. And so we can't create enough, well, we could, but it'd be horrendous, enough fields in Salesforce to do Mm-hmm. calculations of like, how much did somebody give to every one of those entities in the last five years individually? And what was the largest gift to each of those entities? But we can do all of that really easily in Civis mm-hmm. and then create reports that way within Civis that lets us pull all of those things or create joins that you couldn't do in Salesforce to make more complicated reports. Yeah. So it kind of gives you both a way yeah. to get at data and analytics in a much broader and a much deeper way and a place where all of your data can live in one spot. Yep. And I think that this is something for you know non-technical data folks can be a little bit difficult to wrap your head around to the fact that first, data comes in different languages. So just like humans speak different languages, data comes yeah. in different languages. And to us, like a number is a number is a number. So like, why does it really matter? But the way that those numbers are stored or that information is stored, they do have unique languages. So Salesforce uses a certain language and a certain way of structuring that data that might not be compatible with, you know, a BlackBot product or with different things. And so that warehouse, like you were saying, can serve one as like a central translator. Right. So you're creating a copy of the data from all these different places and you're translating it into a single unified language so that it is a standardized way of storing and looking at data so that a single system within that warehouse can access it and get into it. And I liked what you said about as well, that having that external warehouse, a place where these copies are all coming and congregating, that that keeps you from having to make any one external system, right, like Salesforce or your financial system, be able to accept and handle things that are from all different places about all different things. But in the warehouse, you can have lots of spaces for those data to live in a shared language so that then you can ask questions of the warehouse And it will be able to say, let me look in my little Rolodex from Salesforce. Let me look in my little like donor finance section. And it can pull all that information together. Right. Especially in cases where, for example, you don't have an already set API or something. So there are built-in connections, right? Like Salesforce automatically is built in to work with like every action, for example, or set to automatically connect with Capital Canary, which used to be phone to action. Great. But that doesn't mean that every tool that you might want to use connects automatically with that database. But having the warehouse allows you to set up like SQL scripts that will then push and pull the data from this external database and then push it into your database of record. And so you're not then restricted by which tools you're necessarily picking based off of which ones will work with your master database. As long as the systems you're picking allow you to dump the data in, you have that flexibility and it opens up a whole new world of things. Right. The other thing that it opened up for us is being able to automate a lot more stuff, right? So our caging and cashiering firm like posts a file every night onto our FTP site. The SQL script comes out, pulls it, puts it right into Salesforce every night. No one does anything with it. It's beautiful, right? Like there are things like that we've been able to just like make happen on an automated basis that we weren't able to do before. Right. And I think it's important to point out that you didn't start there though. 
Oh no. Right? You know, like <laughs> no. this has been no. years whole, in development. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the whole way we started, it was like I said, literally we needed to get Van and Salesforce to talk. And there is no base integration at that point. Like every action did and it connects, but at that point, every action in Van weren't even in the same sort of parent account, parent company. And the voter file and Salesforce don't connect. And a couple of other organizations were trying to make it work. And they were like, oh my gosh, it's extremely difficult. So that was the whole reason we did it. It wasn't until we'd been in it for a couple of months that we were like, oh, we can use this to do other queries. And then it was like, oh, we could do queries. What can we do with those queries? I think we can maybe do some automated stuff. Which was great, unfortunately, because we didn't build it as a data warehouse. We then had to, like, after about four years or so, had to kind of start from scratch and rebuild it as a warehouse because it was yeah. a mess. There was stuff everywhere. There was no naming conventions. It was sort of the Wild West. Yeah. So we were like, okay, now that we know from the beginning we're going to use it as a warehouse, we're going to fix this. Yeah. But to your point, no, we were just like, yeah. we need a solution for this one problem. We're going to deal with that one problem. Yeah. No, and I think that's really important because, again, people looking at this, an organization saying, okay, I have data in platform one. I have different data in platform two. There is not an automated way to have them just perfectly sync and talk to each other. Just that idea that an option is to have platform three, which is not necessarily an operations platform, right? It's not a donation collection platform. It's not a CRM, but it actually is a platform designed just to hold and structure and store data. Like you said, it's the warehouse term has come about because it's a place to store your data in an organized way that it persists. And so the fact that, you know, you sort of had, I need to get data from platform one to platform two. So I'm going to bring in platform three as an external place to have those data meet and hang out. And then we can figure out how to bring them together. And then once you did that, it opened up new possibilities you had never realized were possible. And that it was okay that in four years, you're like, yeah, we actually need to fix this because now we're doing things we didn't even contemplate we could do before. And I know you're referencing like SQL scripts and things that might be a little scary to some people where they're like, I don't code SQL. I don't even know what SQL is, you know, and it's okay because you'll get there, right? Like by starting. Yeah. I was like, I don't code SQL. I know exactly. enough to be dangerous. Exactly. I can read it a bit, but yeah, no. Exactly. And I know we'll talk a little bit later about the support that you can get in to help with this. But one of the things that I love about your journey is that it is not linear. You didn't at the beginning say, we're going to do this and then we will do this and then we will do this and then we will be done. Right. You took the first step that got you better. Right. It made a difference. Didn't get you quite where you were trying to get to. So then you tried something else. And then in trying something else, you actually came up with a new destination, one you hadn't been thinking about before of creating these automated processes that reduce the burden on the people that are supporting it. Absolutely. And part of that also, too, was like, A, we didn't have many people. Like for a number of years, it was just me. There was nobody else. I didn't have a team of people. Right. It was just me. So, I mean, like I said, there's only so much I can do and I only have so much experience. So it was like, okay, we get us on a new system. I can get us on a new system. Great. All mm -hmm. right. Then it was like, okay, well, we're going to do this civis thing. Okay, cool. But it wasn't until we had actually been up on it before we even hired another person to even help with anything. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's, you know, okay, where are we going? And then like trying to sell the organization on how much money they're willing to spend. So like there's pieces for us. We eventually, you know, dropped Luminate Online 
and went to other tools. And then we dropped Luminate CRM and went just straight to Salesforce nonprofit. And like people were really excited because it actually saved us money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, because now we need more administration help though. So like, we're going to need that. But yeah, I mean, that's also the reality too, right? A lot of us are building the car while you're driving it. And there's only so much you can do. Rarely are you a place where you've got all these resources and this time and you can think long-term. Oftentimes you're like, okay, what hat am I wearing right now? What fire am I putting out? And if I have time to even think about a conversion, that's great. But usually the conversion or whatever else you're doing is because you've had so many fires that you know eventually that's going to help. But yeah, the luxury of being able to play in five years out, I... Or even to know what you'll need in five years is really difficult. Like you talked about the amount of growth that LCV has had, and that's hard to necessarily know that's going to happen. And in some ways, that growth was facilitated and made possible by a lot of these changes that you were making that you didn't know were going to be possible until you made those changes. Exactly. You knew that like, okay, having all of your information together is going to be able to like raise more money. You know that having a better idea of even what your donors are doing online, what actions they're taking, those kinds of things, that they're opening messages, all of that. But at that point, it was not even an idea of like, what could we calculate, how that would look, what the impact would be. It was mostly at that point, just also like, okay, we need something. We are so in the dark that we need to move somewhere. But yeah, now it's a lot easier for us to be able to calculate, okay, if we did this, we'll be able to, you know, get a return on that. But the time, I mean, we also had like two people doing all of online. like. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've sort of briefly touched on different components that are required to make this transition to sort of get along on this journey. You know, there's the tech that's involved, the people that's involved in the organizational culture, like you said, the leadership buy-in that has to happen. Can you speak a little bit more to each of those categories of like what really has to be in place to get started on this journey? Sure. So when we first started on like the initial like, okay, we're going to convert to like a system that even the online and the CRM were talking to each other. I'm super lucky in the fact that we also had a new SVP that came on board. And so she was sort of taking over after the position had been open for a while and was like, okay, this place is a bit chaotic and everybody's been doing what they need to do. How do we get some order and how do we make life easier? And I didn't have to do that sell, although in time since, that's often the place to start has been, okay, the current systems are taking people so long to do data entry or to get reports out or to do acknowledgements or figure out what their major donors are doing or something, you know, like usually there are big things that are taking people lots of time. And that's a good place to start because what people often forget is that time is money to use that phrase, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Your staff hours used to do data entry or hours you're not using to do something else, like often respond to donor inquiries. You know, your major gift officers are spending hours trying to find information on those donors or hours they're not calling donors. So there's that. The other side of it is then not being able to get the data out is the other big piece of it. So when you don't have the analytics that you need on your files, you're not optimizing how you're interacting with people too. So like, that's like, I think the biggest thing on sort of getting people on board. And that goes from like our own team up to like leadership has been showing the impact as best you can. To your point, when we started, we didn't know what the financial impact was going to be, but it was easy to say, we're doing nothing now. So knowing anything will be better than that. (laughs) We will automatically raise more money in some way by this. Now we can say, hey, we need more money for analytics because if we were able to do X, Y, Z, 
we know we could raise W more in the next mm-hmm. year and, you know, that much more in five years. And that's for a lot of places, that's what's going to talk, right? Like that's why you make the investment. You know, you're going to be able to do more. I think also LCV has always had a culture of moving quickly and also wanting to be innovative. It is an organizational culture. So I've never had to sell the development team on increasing our fund, our like technology. In general, they're all like anything that makes my life easier. They may not like it when you actually get it because change, nobody actually likes change and adapting to something new is always hard. But in general, if you're like, okay, this is going to make your data entry time easier, or this new process is going to mean it's a lot shorter for you to get notes in about what you've done or something like in the end, anything that makes people's lives more efficient and less cumbersome is going to be a sell. And rarely is anything in the data world going to be like, oh, well, now this is going to take you 10 times as long. It's usually the opposite. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the big piece. And then on the tech side, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, that's a lot easier now because so much is I'm worried about like, do you have servers that can take on a lot of these things, right? Like it's more about, do you have people who can administer what you're trying to do? Mm -hmm. And I think that is often an overlooked one. I think people are often like, okay, well, we'll get, you know, Salesforce and we'll get a warehouse. Well, unless you've got staff that can minister Salesforce or a consultant already on board, Salesforce is going to be something that you hate because you can't just flip a switch and it's awesome. It's awesome because it's customized, but you have to be able to do that. Same thing with a warehouse, right? Like a warehouse is only as good as support you have to create the tables and the scripts and things like that. If you don't have position or contractors, you're going to have this thing that's just, again, going to be more painful. And so I think that's the other piece more than I would say, you know, do you have internal tech is do you have internal people or have the resources for those people to use what you're talking about getting? Because otherwise you could end up with the world's most expensive block of equipment that no one's actually going to use. And then people will hate it. That's a really great point. Yeah. I think that idea, you know, that it's not just about what technology you need and it's not just about getting people to be bought into having that technology. It's making sure that you have the people who can actually drive and use that technology. And you do mention that it could be people on staff or it could be contractors, right? You can be creative about how you resource those people and get those people to be able to support that. But you really do need to think about, do we have the support and skills and time to Mm -hmm. be actually putting these technologies into play? And so you may end up picking a slightly less powerful technology that you can be successful with than the best quote unquote technology that you're just not going to be able to actually operationalize. Best is a relative term. It's best. What's best for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason why Razor's Edge is so widely used because it's the exact same everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. You know, people know how to use it. It's consistent and that's great. And if you've got a shop where you don't have time to teach people how to use a new technology or to be managing a bunch of things, Mm -hmm. it does what it needs to do. Right. On the flip side, if you need to be doing a bunch of customizations and things like that, again, Salesforce is great, but you have to be able to administer it. So again, to your point, right? It's about everything out there is there for a reason because it solves a problem, right? Like every action is great because it connects directly with the van stuff too. So you can be pulling information back and forth. Like there's a bunch of tools out there that are all the best at something. 
do. And everybody will tell you why it's the best one that they chose. But in the end, it's what's best for you and your staff and your capacity. Now, we did talk about that some of these new solutions can really help reduce that opportunity cost that's happening when staff spending their time doing huge manual tasks rather than the job that they're actually supposed to be doing, like contacting donors or stewarding relationships or managing major gifts. And instead, they're having to do this like onerous onerous data entry or having to try to pull pieces of information together to make some kind of insight that they need to do their job. And there is also then additional financial investment that often has to happen in order to make these transitions, whether it's the fact that maybe you have to pay for two systems at the same time. Time and that's going to cost you extra money, or whether it's the fact that, like, you know, in order to get additional technological skills, you are going to have to get a more expensive platform, but it's going to like free up time that people are going to use. Do you have any suggestions about, you know, how organizations can think about getting the finances to be able to make those transitions or to work internally to figure out how to like align those finances so that they can make those investments? You know, even if down the road they get paid back, you still have this like upfront cost of doing this. And oftentimes it's just a huge barrier for nonprofits. Really is. So one of the things that we at least can capitalize on is because we're a political organization, we always just like up and down. So it's like, okay, what can we do in an election year when there's a more influx of cash in cases? So, okay, great. We can do, you know, pay for it in an election year and then do the bulk of the transition work in a non-election year, because obviously we don't want to be transitioning into a new system in September of an election year because we're not insane. There's also a lot of grants out there for now for technology upgrades, for operational support, for improving your systems in order to reach supporters. You know, a lot of what you're doing, is, a lot of grants right now have things where it's like activate so many people or do these things. And part of that is having the technology in the back end to be able to do and deliver on grant. So I would also suggest kind of thinking creatively about some of those things, like mm-hmm. in grant proposals and work that you're doing too, is there places where you can be like, okay, well, we need to be able to update the, grade the technology in order to do some of this work. And lots of lots of funders out there will fund the capacities pieces to do that. So don't overlook those pieces as well. And if none of those are happening, I will say there's sort of two pieces on that. I have never worked with a vendor who hasn't been like, okay, what's the best payment plan? They work for nonprofit. They work with nonprofits. Nobody's ever been like, okay, do all of this at once. And it is in sort of the short term is sometimes making sacrifices. Like our department had to sit down and go, okay. What are we willing to maybe cut back on this year in order to say, all right, we're going to do, you know, we're going to make a case for investing in this new system and doing the conversion. And that's going to cost money this year. We're not going to magically be able to fund all of it in our, in our thing, but are there cost savings here and there that we can do, right? So we always have money to do like a huge training, a couple of trainings and stuff like that. Well, maybe we don't do one of those trainings. Is everybody on the team cool with that? Can we drop one of those maybe? Or do we think we're going to spend that much money really in travel this year with our major donor gift officers? Like we have a budget there, but maybe we can trim back there. So we did a little bit of that too and being like, okay, We're going to cut back a little bit here. Is there money maybe somewhere else in the organization we could trim a little bit here too? Because it is going to be able to make other people's lives easier too, right? Because we're fundraising for the entire organization and you're fundraising for programs. So it benefits everyone to make Mm -hmm. that transition. And so not thinking of it just of like 
a fundraising or an IT expense that's only going to benefit the fundraising or IT, you know, those departments. It's really, sure, it's usually our expense, but it's, you know, it's helping everybody because, you know, everybody wants to get paid and everybody wants to run their programs. So it's also sort of thinking about that too, about is there a case to be made for other things that maybe we can kind of cut down on or make some sacrifices with the idea that it'll be better later. And again, we'll raise more money. So yeah, it really gets at a strategic challenge for nonprofits generally around this. You know, you were saying there's a lot of put out the fire now and we'll worry about tomorrow's fire tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But the things that you were working on here, you are, one, trying to address today's problems. But you're also thinking about how do we make things possible in the future that would otherwise not be possible? And yeah. so can we make, like you said, some short-term sacrifices for a long-term gain? And can we be willing as an organization to make investments in improvement? And that can be really hard for nonprofits. And there's a whole separate issue about how, you know, outside of nonprofits, people look at overhead costs and like all of that issue that are really problematic for the nonprofit sector. But this really does get at being willing to say, we're going to work towards better and we are willing to make some investments now, whether that's through a grants, whether that's, like you said, purchasing it more in the boom time and then building during some of your downtime, getting creative with those grants or making those short term sacrifices. But this really is so critical that as an organization, we do think strategically about making these investments because you will pay the cost later if you don't make them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what it helped too, at least within our department too, we kind of focused on, well, what's the biggest place for improvement? Like even within fundraising. So we were like, well, we need to get our major gifts program in order. Yeah. So like, that's where we're going to, even within doing this, that's where we're going to focus our energy and effort on first. Because that's the problem too, is even once you get the software and you get the solutions up, then it's like, okay, well now everything's important still. And so like, what is to your organization still the, the biggest piece of your strategic plan or your investments or your growth and fundraising and where you need to start focusing. But that helped us make the case too of like, oh, well now we can actually manage people's portfolios. And now we can actually like, you know, target how we're getting more people in. And like, and to your point, you can see the growth. It helped. It made a difference. Like we actually could grow that program and we did, but it's still hard. It is. (laughs) Nobody likes to spend money on operations. It's just not where people want to spend money. (laughs) No, but you know, as you, you were saying that the data work should be in alignment with the strategic goal overall. This isn't like just some activity over here of like, oh, let's go do it and whatever, it's not going to help. It helps everybody. And the work and what you choose to prioritize should be lockstep with the overall strategic goals of the organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's wrap up with, you know, we've talked about this whole journey that was years for your organization. I think you've done a really great job calling out places where, you know, you're going for better, not perfect. There's going to be transitions along the way, areas you can focus to make sure you have in place as you move forward. What are some actions that listeners could take right now, rather, you know, not over four years, but right now that could move them towards more integration of the data across their organizations? I think one to me would be like exploring what are the pain points now, talking to your staff, Talking to them in concrete ways, like we did a survey halfway through of like, okay, well, what works well for you now? What do you wish was better? You know, what is your frustration level kind of thing to kind of get a gauge of like where we needed to start with the next steps? 
because oftentimes lots of people will just sort of throw out things randomly, but they're not really priorities. Or you might have a silent group of people who just sort of put their head down and deal with like a crappy system and they don't tell you it's a crappy system. And then you find out, oh my God, all I had to do was like one or two tweaks to the existing system you have and it would make life easier. So there's lots of those things that are kind of like an easy way to start with that. Also talk to your account manager once you've got that about what might already exist in your system. I can't tell you, I cannot keep up with product releases for every single system we have. There are oftentimes things that have come out since we started that will help with those pieces. Maybe two of your systems do talk now, or maybe there is a way to get the data in and out, even if it's through exports and imports that would save time overall. Or there's a way to import something from Excel into the system. So you're doing data entry that way instead of a batch instead of doing it manually, every gift or something like that. So I would start with what are the pain points? Where are you spending a lot of manual time now? And then sort of, I would talk through either account managers, chat functions, groups, whatever it is about what else is out there that you're just not taking advantage of to start with, because those returns will also give you precedence for, man, if we can do this with just in a, within it, what else could we do? And also this is where same thing, maybe there's other like low cost or free integrations that do exist. You'd be surprised how many things exist that like will integrate with Chrome or Google, you know, docs and things like that, or Excel even like, oh, I can connect these. It's free. It may not be great, but it's better than nothing. And again, showcase, here's a step in making it better. I love that. I love that. It's something you can do right now. And I love the idea of give people a chance to actually say, what are they suffering through? Even if, and you're not, you can be clear, you're making no promises about fixing it, but at least understand what the challenges are. And I love, like you said, that you may find out that some of these could be addressed, that people have been suffering needlessly because either the platforms have changed, there's updates that will now solve that. Or when you discover just how big a problem is, that then that allows you to say, well, okay, how can we address this? Do we have the resources? And maybe we don't need that many resources. Maybe there are free or cheap solutions to do that. Yep. And also this, then it gives you a list to like work from going exactly. forward too. Yeah. And of course, like you said, making sure you prioritize them. So, you know, like what do we work on first? And right. others can be on a wish list that if we can get to them, we can move through that. But you now have a bit of a roadmap of how we're going to solve this. And if you need to do something external, then where are you focused? Like, what do you need to solve that? You've sort of started that process. You're not then picking a tool that has not going to actually do, to your point from the very beginning, right? Picking something that doesn't actually solve what you need. Okay, well, if you know what you need, then you can focus on making sure that the tool you're picking is going to solve top three pain points. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. It's been a delightful conversation. I appreciate you sharing this journey and giving some insight and hope and inspiration to those of us who are either in the middle of this journey or on our way headed into it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation and good luck to everybody out there. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.